Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, I think it's, it's scarier in the silence, don't you think? I had to uh, turn the sound off for the expletives that were in there. Not safe for church. It's a new phrase that's in there. Uh, any of you here bungee jumped? Have we got any of the adventurous ones? I was wondering, have you ever had a bungee jump moment. It's that moment that I want to talk about this morning. It is that moment, that moment we could see right there on the edge of the platform, that moment that the instructor is holding onto the back of them ever so slightly, that moment when movement just begins to happen, that moment when thinking goes to believing. Have you ever had a a bungee moment? You and I bungee jump all the time. We do. Uh, You have these moments, I know, as a pastor, I am talking through them all the time with you. Should I marry this person? Should I leave this job? Should I try a new adventure? Should I invest this money? We have bungee moments all the time, and it's in those moments that we come to realise that uh, thinking, thinking is a bit big part of the faith that we have. We think about the person that we're going to marry. We think about the job we're going to go to. We think about the investment that we're going to make. But whilst faith begins with thinking, there is always a deeper challenge behind that. We know that knowledge, thinking is not enough. Often when people say, hey, I need faith... What you are saying specifically this morning is, I need a census. And no, I'm not talking about a survey that's to do with the population. It's a Latin word that we're going to learn this morning. See what I did there? You need a census. You need a census. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's more than just faith. More specifically, you need a census. And that is what we're going to talk about. See, the great reformers, the people who started our branch of Christianity, not the nuns version of Christianity, that's Catholicism, The Protestant reformers, the ones protesting against the Catholic Church in the 1500s, Luther et al., define faith as these steps. These steps, which, by the way, apply if you're not a Christian or not. This is not limited to Christianity. This is how you place your faith in a doctor, that faith begins with notitia, understanding, and that thinking then leads to a census, conviction, and that conviction then leads you to commitment. Now, the problem with this, though, we know with all this thinking, is that knowledge is often not enough. You've heard me say in a sermon a couple of weeks ago that I had knowledge that an oil heater was hot because my father had told me it was hot, and yet as a toddler I still put my stomach straight to the glass plate. Knowledge is never enough. Um, There are professors of Christianity at Harvard University and at Yale And here in Sydney, that know Christianity way better than you and I would ever know Christianity, but that doesn't make them Christians. And then at the other end of the spectrum, why is it that those big characters that we talked about last week, like William Wilberforce, who is a, he's just an out there party boy atheist, commits his life to Christ and then ends up abolishing slavery in Britain. Why is it that those who have exactly the same knowledge as us do such big things? It's because they had a census, a census, a census. Faith begins with thinking, but you need a census. And here's what a census is. A census is when your past beliefs show up in your present actions. 
And that's what we'll see from this passage this morning that we're going to read from. We've been reading from Hebrews chapter 11. And then this specific verse in verse 7 is no better verse to talk about past beliefs showing up in present actions when it makes no sense. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And then verse 7, the story this morning. By faith, when Noah warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah had a census. And a census is this, and I want to I focus in on, on verse 1 here of Hebrews 11, where it says, Now faith is being sure of for what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And looking at that second phrase, underline it, certain of what we do not see. Now this is one of the places where in the Greek, you have to know the Greek word in order to understand what the Bible is talking about. It's one of these places where the Greek word really comes through and translates into the definition of what we're talking about. And it literally says... In, in that second part, certain of what we do not see, it literally is translated conviction of the pragmaton. Pragmaton, you might, have, might start to sound familiar. We are convinced of the pragmatics. Pragmaton, Greek to Latin, Latin to English is where we get the word pragmatics. Or pragmaton meaning past facts. Now, faith is becoming certain of the past facts. So, specifically, a census means that you become so convinced of the past facts that it leads into your present action. And I think there was no greater example of a census than that in that tragedy back in 2004 in the Boxing Day tsunami. Remember that? Boxing Day tsunami. And remember those crazy scenes where we saw uh, all of the tide go out. Remember seeing that, that picture of all the tide went out as the tsunami was coming in? And it was, it was a surreal scene because as all of the tide was going out, there were two different types of people. As the tide went out, you had all of these British and Australian and tourists from all around. Tourists all ran down to go and see all the fish that were flapping around in the water because it was really, really strange. And they're all standing there going, this is cool. This is, this is different. Meanwhile, the locals were running for the hills. <laughs> Why? What's the difference? Like, both the locals and the tourists believed in tsunamis. Why were the locals running from the hills? It's because the locals had a census. Whether it was through their stories, whether they had seen tsunamis before, there was a pragmaton, there was a past act or fact that was ingrained in their lives that affected their present action. That past act being that whether it's ancestors, whether they'd seen it themselves, they knew that when the tide goes out, run for the hills because a tsunami is coming. Now, with a census, a Christian does exactly the same. A Christian lives their life not on the basis of what is happening, but what has happened. A Christian is not someone who has more faith than the other person. Remember last week I said that everyone's got faith. You've all got faith. You've got faith that you're sitting on the chairs. Non-Christians have as much faith as Christians. It's not about the faith. It's about where you are deriving that faith from. And a Christian is someone who lives their life on the basis of past facts. There's a place called Israel. There was a guy called Jesus who lived and breathed. There's a Sea of Galilee. There was a message that went out. The calendars changed. Something happened. And I live my life on the basis of what has happened, not what is happening. 
You hear that? So here's the question for us. If that's the case, then that's how faith grows. We move from thinking to doing because of a census. Is it just me, but how much of our lives and how much of our faith is really affected by what is happening rather than what has happened? Have you thought about this? Have you noticed that that most of the time when our faith is challenged and most of the time when we feel like we're lacking faith, it's not because of what has happened, it's because of what is happening. That's how doubts arise. Sickness comes in, uh, a job loss happens, uh, the world goes a bit crazy, we have a pandemic. More often than not, you and I live our lives out of what is happening, what, not what has happened. And that often is the culprit for how we lack faith. And so the question then is, well, how do we get more faith? Well, we do what we see here when you get a a census and there's no better story than Noah who ends up building an ark in the middle of Alice Springs when it's 30 degrees, 35 degrees outside and this guy's out there building a boat. Seems pretty crazy. (laughs) But, But we'll see that he was really an example of faith because he was an example of a census to assent to, to be convinced of, to be convicted of past facts. What do you do if you want to grow your faith? What do you do if you want to move from that point of thinking to doing? What do you do if you just, that, that magic balance moment, how is it going to tip yourself so you're the one that pushes off into that new season of faith? The first thing that you need to do is convince yourself of the pragmaton, of the facts. It says in verse 7, by faith, Noah, who was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now, the NIV says that he, he built the ark out of holy fear, to which anyone who's watching in says, oh, that is exactly what I thought the God of the Bible is all about. You know, using these little fear techniques to turn the screws on you so that you do stuff for him. You know, so people think in that moment that, oh, well, Noah built an ark because God went boo and, and scared the daylights out of him in order to build an ark. That's not what really the Greek translation says there. The Greek land translation says their holy fear is Noah built an ark out of reverent awe for God. Big difference. Hear the difference? He built an ark out of reverent... How, how was he in awe of God? It was his knowledge of God. It's how he came to know God. And let me frame it up this way. is that This is something you'll hear me keep going on about over the next couple of weeks, which, by the way, you can think will be my partial method of manipulating people to come back to church. So I'm just, I'm just declaring this up front. <laughs> So you can think what you want, but let me put it this way. There is something that happens in community in building your faith that you cannot get on that side of the camera. Right? There is something that happens in, com- in community that you can't get by yourself. And when I say that side of the camera, I mean if you think that moving forward, your following Jesus is just going to be a process of binging on the latest YouTube clips from your favourite preachers all week. It's not going to happen. This thing's not going to happen. And I tell you why, because... The last 12 to 14 to 16 weeks of group with me and the Connect group that we call Super Connect, but really they're my home group and a bunch of friends that I've learnt to do some amazing life with. I've been so blessed by this group over the past 14, 16, 18 weeks through lockdown. And part of the reason is we've had some of the most special and some of the most precious moments where people have shared their stories. This is people that have shared their stories and said, you know what, when I was younger, I lost a child. And in the middle of the pain of all of that grief, yeah, I was angry with God and yet God brought people around me in a way that was just almost supernatural and he, he provided people to care for me and look after me and, and 
it was a painful but it was an amazing experience. There's people in there that said, you know, as I got through my sickness and the battle with cancer, oh, I was angry and I was frustrated at God and, and yet somehow as I just clung some nights to a scripture at a time, I realised that God was faithful. There are people in that group that have been telling all sorts of stories of the way in which relationships have broken down and it's been painful and it's been really hard and difficult and yet when I look back I can see that God was sustaining me through all of this. And you know what I found in this? I don't know if you found this in community groups, in connect groups. Have you noticed when you hear these stories, even if you don't have the big faith story, it encourages you? It spurs you on? What happens in those moments? You're becoming convinced of the pragmaton. Convinced of the facts. Convinced of the facts. If God's worked at this person's life in the past, then maybe there is something going on here. If God's worked in this person's life, maybe there is something going on here. If this person's worked in that person's life, maybe there is something going on here. You become so convinced of the past that it fuels your faith for the future. Convince yourself of the pragmaton. Here's the other thing that you do at the other end of the spectrum. If you don't convince yourself of the past deeds of Christianity and the way that God's worked in others' lives, then maybe do this. Hesitate on your hesitations. And here's what I mean by this. Can, can I push you on this? Being a pastor in this place for like 15 years now already, here's what I'm finding is the real issue for people when it comes to jumping off that platform and into a relationship of following Jesus Christ. For all the conversations and all the stories that I've had over the years, and can I push you on this if you're this sort of person, can I suggest to you that most people's problems with following Jesus and putting their faith in Him is not because Christianity is too intellectual, it's because He's too personal. He's too personal. And I mean, like, there are lots of people that know Jesus. There are lots of people that know of Jesus. There's lots of people that like Jesus. Lots of people don't have a problem with Jesus, but they're not Christians. And more often than not, this is because something happened. Something happened in their life, and it's often one of three different categories that I've summarised as a pastor now. It's because they either grew up, blew up, or threw up. That's one of the three different ways. They either grew up, blew up, or threw up. They either grew up, that's the sort of person who went, oh, you know, I believed in Jesus when I went to Sunday school, and we did all the uh, stories on the overhead projector, and I sang all the songs, but, you know, I grew up, I went to university now, I'm an intellectual. You know, that was kids' stories back then. Then there's the people that blew up, and often that's that person who had a faith in God until God didn't deliver for them. And then, hang on, if God's so big and so powerful, why didn't he come through for me in this moment? And they blew up. They blew up at God, and they blew up their faith. Because God can't be good if he, if he didn't save me from this situation here. And then there's the people that I totally get it, and I understand, they're just the people who threw up because they were sick of church, and they were sick of Christians. And they got sick of being heard or they got sick of dogma or they got sick of the way that the church got in the way of their faith and so they find that they left the church in all of that. In fact, um, we try and we're not perfect. We try to be the sort of church where if you're sick of church, then you're welcome to come and be here with us. You've been hurt by church, you're welcome to come and be here and there's every risk that we might hurt you but we will do everything we can to not get in the way of you and Jesus, grew up, blew up, threw up. <laughs> Can you relate to that? Do you know people like that? Can I suggest it's not intellectual? It's because it's too personal. You're carrying stuff. And if you're that person that's watching in today, can, can I push you even further? 
and say, if a tsunami of the soul is coming at you, because what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who looks at this world and says, oh, the tide's gone out. And there's two types of people. The tide's gone out and there's all these wonderful things on the shoreline to play with. That's fun. I didn't see that before. And this is cool. And then there's a whole bunch of other people that are running for the hills who say that their hope is in heaven, who says, I'm not meant to stay around here for too long. And can I push you that if there is a tsunami of the soul coming at you, and the Bible talks about it all the time, death. Last time I checked, the mortality rate is 100%. It's a tsunami. It's coming at you. Then are, are, are your various reasons, grew up, blew up, threw up, are they, are they big enough to keep you away from a solution to all of that? Like, of, of course God knows your intellectual concerns. Of course God knows that you're angry at him. Of course God knows about Christians that muck it up. It breaks his heart as much as it breaks ours. But that's no reason to just dismiss Christianity. And if I can push you even further, please deal with the facts. The Bible didn't create Christianity. Christians didn't create Christianity. What happened at Easter created Christianity. Something happened. And can I ask you for a moment that if you're in that space, can you please just try and forget all the dogma and all the religiosity and all the other crazy christian stuff that we do in all of this that gets in the way of Jesus? And can you just deal with the facts? Something happened. And when it says that we are certain of that which we have not seen, it means for a Christian, we are so convinced that something happened, we are so convinced that someone was raised from the dead, that that is the very thing that fuels our faith. Something happened. Look, consider this. If a guy had the gumption to predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, don't you think we should at least stop and listen to what he has to say? Just saying. Hashtag just saying. Please don't get out from your responsibility, particularly if you're not yet a person of faith as such, to think about the facts here. Something happened. You need to hesitate on your hesitations. You need to doubt your doubts. More specifically, if you're a Christian, you need to doubt your doubts. You need to hesitate on your hesitation. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through this place of faith where you're not sure, you're not quite sure you can take that step of faith more often than not as a pastor, it's because of these sorts of things that I can't move forward because it's either going to be a fear, an issue to deal with fear, an issue to deal with guilt or an issue to deal with yourself. More often than not, people are like, I can't move forward in faith because God won't come through for me. More, more often than not, people, I can't move forward in faith in this, I don't deserve God blessing in my life. And more often than not, for all of us Christians and not yet Christians alike, we don't move forward in faith because, well, we're too caught up having faith in ourselves to run the world. <laughs> A Christian is someone who's moved from believing in God to believing God. They hesitate on their hesitations. They hesitate on their hesitation. So you think about the past facts. Something happened. You've got to deal with that. Maybe that's you this morning. Then on the other side of things, you hesitate on your hesitations. What things in my mind, what underlying belief systems are holding me back from following Jesus? And then you do that, you'll be a Christian. There you go. Simple as that. It's like paint by numbers. Why didn't I discover this before? Like we could have revival in here. I should have preached this sermon like 10 years ago. Place would be full of people because it's as simple as that this morning, right? Look, what happens next? How you get from thinking 
to conviction, how that really happens. You want to know my honest answer? I don't know. It's a mystery. It'll be the place where my main man, Sam McNally, as he was saying this morning, is it, it's just that place where the, the magic happens in the ether. Where this, the Spirit of God does something in your life. And have you ever noticed that so often when you and I are on that platform of faith and we're not sure that we want to jump off that bungee platform and that, have you noticed how more often than not we want the Holy Spirit to be one of those, uh, one of those instructors there that, that does, doesn't just sort of hold us there. We, we want the Holy Spirit just to shove us off so we don't have to think. Have you ever done that in your faith? Like, Lord, I'm praying for this, but can you just get the Holy Spirit just to chuck me over the edge? doesn't work like that. <laughs> He's not that type of instructor. You need instructor. You need to make a decision this morning. You need to make a decision this morning because you and I know that knowledge is not enough. Some of you this morning are on the edge of that platform of faith. Some of you this morning are on the edge of big decisions you need to make on your life. Some of you are on the edge of the decision about your job or about a new partner or whether you should stay and stick it out or a relationship or a new business venture or a new investment. Some of you are on that decision, but you need to make a decision. And so as we finish this morning, I want to give you the space to think upon these things, to stop and to think, to think about the past deeds and the facts and to weigh this up. Because the message of Christianity is not what would Jesus do. The message of Christianity is what has Jesus done? <laughs> if you go treat it as what would Jesus do, you just end up creating your own sort of Eastern-style form of self-taught morality. Little steps to get you through life. No, Christianity is what has Jesus done? To which, you know, some of you are saying, what, Sam, this morning you're going to try and make me a Christian after all these sorts of years? Oh, well, look, like the Apostle Paul says, oh, no, I'm not trying to make you a Christian, King Agrippa. I just pray that you become everything I am except for these chains. And all I would suggest to you this morning, as we heard from a wise man in a video about 20 minutes ago, I think, looking at the world, it's a good time to turn to the Lord. Let's be clear. Jesus' message was not, go get your life together. Jesus' message was not, go watch a bunch of YouTube clips or listen to a heap of podcasts. Jesus' message was not, go get your life in order and then please subscribe to a certain set of theologies and a certain type of church in order that you might feel that you've got this morally stitched up and that you've got a sense of peace here on earth before you get to heaven. He never said that. Jesus' message was the kingdom of heaven, God's work, God's magic is right in front of your nose. And in light of that, what do you think? Metanoiete, think about your thinking. Something happened. So think about it. Think about it. Think about it. But you've got to make a decision. And it's a good time to turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying for each of us at either end of the spectrum in this moment as we come to think upon you. I pray for that person who spiritually, whether they're watching in or they're in this room this morning, are standing on the edge of that platform that we've seen at the beginning of the message. And they look out and they think, faith could be scary. What have I got to give up? What have I got to do? How have I got to behave? What's got to happen? What will my friends think of me? What's... Father, I pray for them in this space this morning. 
Father, I pray for those that have been hiding away through you through a maze of their own intellectual constructions when really it's a personal issue. Meet them in this space this morning. Father, I pray for those of us in the faith that we would pray like the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith. And in many ways, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to this room and to this live stream this morning saying, you know what to do? Think, think, think and make a decision. Help us with this, we pray, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As we come to communion this morning, you've got the cups on your chairs there. Maybe you want to do something at home, but this is going to be your two to three minutes. You know why we do this? This convinces us of the pragmaton, of the pragmatic facts. The only reason, have you ever thought of this? The only reason that we're about to go and drink a little COVID-safe cup on a Sunday morning in Crow's Nest is because something happened. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're welcome to partake in all of this. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's cool. You don't have to drink this or do this process, whether you're at home or here. But we do ask you as we eat and drink to think, but to not only think, but to convince yourself of this past fact. He lived, he breathed, he died, and he was alive again. Somewhere in history, someone had the gumption to predict their own death and resurrection, and he pulled it off. It's the only reason why we're doing this now. Let's eat and drink. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.